So, uh, most everyone is quite excited about the Padres. Uh, although last night was disappointing, now they're down 3-1 to the Phillies. And so we're going to be rooting them on, hopefully, that they can extend the series and win it. Now, these baseball players are very talented, and they get, they get compensated very well for what they do on the field. And you may know this, but Manny Machado, and he's a great player, but I think he's the highest paid Padre. So his annual salary is $32 million. My annual salary is $48,000. Is what he's doing so much more important than what I'm doing? I don't know. I don't think so. People hear about something like that, they say it's unfair, maybe even that it violates principles of justice. Now the idea of equality came to the forefront in Western civilization, especially around the time of the French Revolution and afterward. In fact, that was one of the rallying cries in the French Revolution, right? Liberty, equality, and fraternity. And in the various forms and degrees of socialist movements in the West over the, over the next couple centuries, equality would be a central thing. It was a, a political program designed to have people treated equally, although there's some vagueness about that and how to do that. Often it's in reference to wealth and economics, um, often also in terms of political power. I remember in elementary school, I read a short story by an author named Kurt Vonnegut, and the name of the story was Harrison Berger. And this is how the story begins. The year was 2081, and everybody was finally equal. They weren't only equal before God and the law, they were equal every which way. Nobody was smarter than anybody else. Nobody was better looking than anybody else. Nobody was stronger or quicker than anybody else. Now, if you read the story, you see what they did. So if someone had above average intelligence, they put a device in their ear, which would beep every 30 seconds to kind of make their mind not work as well. If they were strong, they'd be weighed down with metal. If they were good-looking, they had to put on ridiculous makeup, right? So there was an actual attempt, right, to not have anyone have any advantage over anybody else. And you might guess the way the story portrays it is that this kind of radical pursuit of equality is really stupid and, and actually unjust and not good. Now, of course, there's a lot of good things to say about movements for equality over the last couple centuries. For uh, political and legal rights, regardless of race or gender, but there are also limits to the pursuit of equality. In our first reading, we are told that the Lord is a God of justice, and he knows no favorites. Now, we see this sentiment expressed in the same or similar words throughout the Old Testament, often in connection with instructing judges, Israel's judges, on how they are to decide cases, how they are to apply the law, to, to, um, to decide disputes, and that they are to not, uh, they are to, to basically, we, you know, we call this blind justice under the law. They're not to prefer this person because they're rich, or this person because they're their friend or their family member, right? So everyone, in a sense, would be considered equal under the law. Uh, and yet, at the same time we see often that, we also see this idea that God has a, a, a special concern for the poor, for the widows, for the orphan, a group of people that sometimes are together called the lowly. We see this in our first reading, how, how God says that 
if they cry to me, right, their prayers will rise up through the heavens and pierce the clouds, and I will hear them, and I will answer them. And I think that, I think we can understand this as well. So, so those of you who are parents, maybe you have several children, you know, and you might be asked, you know, which child do you love more, and what's the right answer, right? You love them all equally, right? But maybe you have a child with special needs or certain difficulties who seems to just have it harder. You're going to end up giving more attention and time to that child because of that special need. Now, in the Old Testament, we see this already, but especially in the Gospels, uh, the category of the lowly was expanded. So not only those who experienced disadvantage were socially, economically vulnerable, but those, in a sense, who chose to make themselves lowly through humility. And these, all of these different people within the lowly, in a sense, have something in common. They recognize their need for God. In the Gospel, Jesus tells a story about two men who go to the temple area to pray. Right? And one is a Pharisee and one is a tax collector. And Jesus' listeners almost immediately assumed that the Pharisee was the better prayer, right? The Pharisee studied intently the law, tried to practice the tea, everything, and you know, all, all the laws of God. So this is what they're thinking. You know, these two men go to pray. Of course, the Pharisee is going to be a better prayer. And so the Pharisee prays. He says, God, I thank you I'm not like the rest of sinful humanity. You know, uh, I, who are, they're all greedy, they're all adulterers, not me, I'm so good. I'm so much better than this tax collector here, you know. And it's interesting, because I think oftentimes what we want is not equality, but we want to be better than others. We're always comparing ourselves, and we, it makes us feel bad if we compare ourselves and someone seems to be better than us in something. Or it makes us kind of feel good, not in a really deep, good, long-term way, but feel good for a moment to think that we're better than other people. We see it in particular with the Pharisee, what we might call a sense of moral superiority to others. That he is more virtuous, he is more pleasing to God than others. Now there's a small detail when Jesus tells the story, which I think is very important. Right, so he's in the temple area, he is purportedly addressing God, but what does Jesus say about his prayer? He spoke this prayer to himself. So remember this first, the, the, the image from the, the first reading, that the prayers, the lowly pierce the clouds, they get up to God? Right? This is an image of, no, these prayers didn't, don't make it to God. And of course God knows right, what, the, what the man is thinking, the way he's praying, but he prayed this prayer to himself. And after all, he's already perfect anyways, what does he need God for, Right? Contrast that with the tax collector who stands off at a distance, will not even look up into the sky, who beats his chest and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says that he is justified, not the Pharisee. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You notice it said that the tax collector beat his breast as we prayed. And you notice in our confidiary today, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. We take that from the Bible, from this prayer of the tax collector which reaches heaven. Now, every human being has an equal dignity because every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. And certainly, I think, in the just society, the laws should conform to this idea, and there should be equality under the laws. 
But the fact is that, that reality throughout, and human beings included, there's a lot of differences, which can be it's understood as inequality depending on what's advantageous or what isn't. There's, there's so many differences. I mean, uh, yeah, we have common human nature, but, but you take two human beings and they're, gonna, they're going to differ in terms of intelligence, in terms of strength, athletic ability, musical ability, all kinds of things, and just even, too, circumstances of life. Do you ever think about how your life would be different if you were born in Malawi, Africa? There's a lot of, a lot of economic advantages you wouldn't have. Um, now, St. Paul, is, when he writes the Corinthians, he talks about differences within the Christian community, and he wants people to not see one as you know, superior in fear, but rather to see these differences as being oriented towards uh, the, the good of the whole. Right? He, ta- he uses the image of the body of Christ. We're individually different body parts within the body of Christ. Um, even thinking about a, an advantage like wealth, it's very, very clear that according to God, if you have that advantage, it's not so much something that makes you better than others, rather it makes you obliged to them. There is a moral responsibility that comes with that. And we're also equal in this way. Before God, we are all beggars. Before God, we are all beggars. Everything we have, and I don't care if you have a PhD and you're going to say, oh, I studied so hard, I put all this work into it. Everything you have fundamentally comes from God. Like, who gave you your existence and your Ability even to think, right? Everything is a gift from God. And if we compare God's infinite wisdom and power and goodness with ourselves, if we ever try to make that comparison, we realize that we're not much in comparison. If we think about our good deeds, okay, of course, yes, there is, there is true merit in the sense of cooperating with God's grace and doing good deeds, but all of our good deeds spring from God's grace, and by His grace are brought to completion. So we must be on guard against uh, developing a moral or spiritual superiority complex. Sometimes when we see faults of others or we see them fall from grace, there's a part of us that kind of likes it a little bit, you know? But rather, what we should think when we hear about that is, there but for the grace of God go I. I am capable, too, of betraying God. God, without you, I can do nothing. I am a sinner in need of your mercy and a beggar in need of your provision. There was a a churchman who who was uh, born in the 19th century, and I think he died in 1930, named Raphael Mary Delval. He became a cardinal of the church. He became one of maybe the youngest ever secretary of state of the church, which is basically right next to the Pope in terms of, of power in the church. And he came from uh, basically a noble lineage. And he had um, not only every kind of advantage socially and economically, he also was really, really bright, very talented. And um, there's a story about him that I love. So he was Secretary of State under Pius X. When Pius X died, there was um, a man named Del Chiesa who ended up being elected Pope. And there was a bit of a rivalry within the church. And the uh, Del Chiesa won by only one vote. 
So Delval just said, okay, let's just recount it and make sure he didn't vote for himself because that would have, I guess, invalidated according to the rules at the time. And so uh, the new pope, Pope Benedict XV, you know, obviously didn't, didn't like that. They recounted it. He didn't vote for himself. He was, he was validly elected the pope. So there's this, uh, this ritual that happens after every new pope is elected where every cardinal does the pope homage and basically pledges their obedience to the new pope. So Benedict XV, when Delval came up, uh, he decides to quote scripture. He, he, he um, quotes one of the Psalms. Uh, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. But without missing a beat, Cardinal Duval said, and <clears throat> this is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful in our eyes, which is the completion of the song, right? Uh, so he, it, was, it was a wonderful little exchange. I'm sure they, they were smiling when they said it. There is a prayer called the Litany of Humility, which actually is written by an unknown author, but it was very much reflective of who uh, Cardinal Mary Duval was and also something he promoted, something he prayed every day. If you've never prayed it, I encourage you. It's actually very hard to pray. Uh, so it's a litany. You have various, various things you're asking for throughout. I just want to, just a just few of them to talk about them for a second. In that litany, you pray, you say, uh, from the desire of being esteemed, extolled, honored, praised, from the fear of being calumniated, forgotten, rebuked, Jesus deliver me. Interestingly, when I first read it, the last, the last petition was the strangest. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. It's a beautiful, profound prayer. It will challenge you your entire life long. But we see in today's gospel and so much of Jesus' teaching, the absolute essentialness of the virtue of humility, which opens us up to God's power. We can always pray. It's always a good prayer, the prayer of the tax collector. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 